This Christmas season, David Jeremiah and Turning Point Productions present Why the Nativity, a docudrama film that will take you on a thought-provoking journey surrounding the most pivotal moment in human history, the birth of Jesus Christ. Experience the sights and sounds of that first Christmas as Dr. Jeremiah provides a fascinating presentation of biblical history paired with dramatic reenactments. Watch Why the Nativity completely free and find it everywhere it is available by going to whythenativity.org. That's whythenativity.org. If you struggle to keep your Christmas celebration focused on Jesus, just remember the word that shows how He keeps His love focused on you, Savior. Today, on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah explains why this special word stands apart from the hundreds of other names and titles given to Christ. To introduce the conclusion of his important message, Why Call Him Savior, here's David. And I want to thank you so much for joining us today. We are grateful for the opportunity we have to visit with you every day here on Turning Point Radio, and especially during this season as we're focusing our attention on the story of Christmas. The series is called Why the Nativity, based upon the book of the same name, and it's also the name of a movie that we've been producing for three years and has been released this year, Why the Nativity docudrama is now available from Turning Point. You can find out all about it by going to our special website, which is whythenativity.org. There you will see every place where it's being released. Um, I'm going to tell you about a couple of them that are really exciting to me. On Christmas morning and on the day before Christmas, on Christmas Eve morning, the movie will be seen on the Lifetime Network nationally. Lifetime does not receive movies like this, but this year they've made an exception. And in their normal movie slot, I think maybe for the first time ever, they've opened up this space for this to be seen on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and Pacific Time, both days. And I hope that you'll find a way to join that and make that part of your Christmas celebration. Okay, this is part two of Why Call Him Savior. The Monday edition of Turning Point is right before you. Let's open our Bibles together. Jesus did not come to make our lives better. He came to save us from our sin. And the Bible says in order to do that, according to Luke 19.10, he had to seek us first. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. I remember growing up, we used to sing a little chorus in our youth group that went like this. I found what I wanted when I found the Lord. And that's a beautiful little phrase, and it was a great tune, but it's bad theology. Because we weren't seeking the Lord, he was seeking us. You say, well, I'm here, I'm seeking the Lord. Well, if you're seeking the Lord, it's only because he sought you first. He put you in a seeking mode so that you would hear the gospel. And the Bible says that man will not come to God unaided. In Luke chapter 15, one of my favorite passages, we're told about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. All of them had to be sought by the Savior, just as today we must be sought as well. Oh, my friends, there is music and majesty in Jesus' statement. One focus, the lost. Two actions, to seek and to save. Jesus came to this earth, listen to me, on a rescue mission. The Savior is needed to seek the lost, and the Savior is needed to save the lost. He came to seek and to save. If he found us and didn't save us, we'd be in the same position we were before. 
but he came to save us. Now, I have to tell you, that word has fallen on hard times. We use every word that we can come up with from the dictionary except the word saved. I remember growing up as a boy, it was a common thing to ask somebody if they'd been saved. I remember one little foray into the witnessing arena when I was a student at Dallas Seminary. I was taking some courses at North Texas State University, some graduate courses, and I was going through a period of time, now you've probably never been through a time like this, when I was feeling very guilty that I was so busy about doing the Christian thing that I wasn't witnessing. I had probably heard a message on witnessing that had put me under a guilt trip And so I determined I was going to witness, and I went to my class and sat next to a friend, and I'll never forget this. I asked him, are you saved? And he said, I'm not interested in being saved from anything except from nuts like you. That's what he said. It sort of set my witnessing program back a few weeks. It was very discouraging. Now, somebody would say to me, well, you shouldn't have asked him that question. There's a better way to ask it, and perhaps there is. But the Bible's term for it is to be saved, to be saved. When we think of being saved, we think of pictures of sailors clinging to the wreckage of a ship, helicopters hovering in the night sky, shining their beacons on the sea in search of the living who must be saved. A few months ago, Don and I were in a condo, and it was a very quiet day, uneventful, and all of a sudden, we heard helicopters five of them right out in front of where we were staying, going up and down in front of this thing, and it went on for hours. I knew something was going on, and so I walked down to the pier and asked some of the people who had gathered there what was happening. A surfer had disappeared, and they feared he had drowned, and ultimately he had. But they couldn't find his body, and so they were searching for him, and they never stopped until they found him. We think of a collapsed mine where workers are trapped far beneath the earth. Their oxygen runs low and men crouch in darkness wondering if they dare hope for salvation. We think of a little girl at the bottom of a well or even the favorite word picture of a single stray sheep trapped on a perilous slope. The Coast Guard will find those lost sailors and no taxpayer will ever complain about the expense The miners will not be abandoned. The little girl must see the sunshine once more, and the one sheep must be rescued from danger. These situations are urgent, and when we see them on television, we stop and we pray and we wait. We may not even know any of the people, but instantly we find ourselves identifying with them and praying that somehow they will be rescued. They are lost, and they need to be saved. But ladies and gentlemen, these temporal situations are transcended by the true tragedy of men and women who are lost in their own rubble of sin and darkness and pain. And often, even without knowing what they are longing for, our world's inhabitants are crying out to be rescued. We don't need to be saved from the sins of others. We need salvation from our own sin. Until we are willing to acknowledge that no matter what the Savior may have done for us, it will not connect with us at all. Until we are willing to say it's not their sins that is the problem, it is my sin. 
It is not my situation that's the problem. It's my sin that's the problem. Until we are willing to stand up before God and own up to the fact that we have failed him and we are falling short of his glory and the only hope we have is a savior, until then, whatever the savior may have done for us, it will not make any difference because he does not force himself upon us. He paid the penalty for our sin. He paid all that needs to be paid, but he waits for us to accept it by faith. The promise of the Savior and the purpose of the Savior. Notice the provision of the Savior in this same verse. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Please notice the fact of this Savior coming to this earth. This is a fact of history. It's very interesting that this verse, while it is so very short, contains everything we need to know. It says, for unto you is born this day a Savior. Jesus did not just gradually come upon this earth. There was a day when the Lord God was born into humanity, when he came through Mary, and on a certain day, in a certain place, at a certain time, he was born into humanity. The Bible makes it very clear this is an historic event. On this day, Jesus was born. The birth of Jesus is not the beginning of a spiritual force, but the historic record of a person who had an actual birthday, a fact of history. But it is also a fulfillment of prophecy. Once again, in this one little verse, here we see it. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. The city of David, as you know, is the city of Bethlehem. And the Old Testament is filled with prophecies of the coming of Messiah in such a specific way that most Jewish people had a tendency to read right over the prophecies and not even understand them. Micah, for instance, had prophesied that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5, 2, for you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Now, that's a wonderful verse, but it becomes a miracle verse when you recognize that it was written 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The prophet Daniel in the Old Testament actually gave a timetable for the birth of Jesus. Isaiah said that Messiah would be virgin-born. Jeremiah said that there would come a time when, because of Christ's birth, there would be a slaughter of many children. And Hosea, the prophet, revealed that at a certain time, Mary and Joseph would have to go into Egypt to spare the life of the child. All of these prophecies, men and women, were given 500 to 700 years before the birth of Christ. And there were devout Jews who every day would read the scripture and wonder, will these things happen in my lifetime? The birth of Jesus was not only a fact of history, it was a fulfillment of prophecy. But notice it is also a foundation for eternity. Unto you is born a Savior. Listen carefully. Jesus Christ is our Savior. God came down and entered into humanity so that humanity would be able to enter into eternity. 
This birth of Jesus, while it began at a point in time, began something that will never end and can never end because when he was born into humanity, he opened the door for us to eternity. So don't discount this one simple little verse that records an event that happened when the Savior was born. There are so many people who celebrate Christmas without celebrating Christ. I always get kind of a kick out of that at this season of the year. All these people who don't believe in Jesus go into debt to celebrate his birth. Can you understand that? They don't believe in him, but they celebrate his birth religiously. Perhaps that is why there are so many who feel depressed on Christmas Day. The Christmas blues, it's sometimes called, the SAD syndrome. Seasonal affective disorder, it's called. SAD. Season affective disorder. Whatever it is, if you happen to be down in the dumps during this season, let me give you some great counsel. Stop thinking about Christmas and start thinking about Christ. He is our prophet and our priest and our king. He is the master and the bridegroom and the good shepherd. He's the holy one of God. He is Emmanuel, God with us, and his name is called Jesus. John introduced him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Magi recognized him as the King of the Jews, and even the demons called him the Holy One of God. Is this not the carpenter, asked the people of Nazareth. Could this be the Christ, asked the woman by the well. Thomas called him my Lord and my God. No, ladies and gentlemen, this time of year isn't about Christmas, it's about Christ. It isn't about presence, it's about his presence. You may not have family nearby, but your father is close at hand. Your faith is more important than your feelings, and he sets us free from chains we could never remove ourselves because he is our savior, he is our hope. When you get all depressed and discouraged about things that you have no control over in your life. Let me ask you just to sort of push those away and refocus your attention on the one who loves you more than you can ever imagine, who came to this earth specifically to be your savior. I know what a task I have as I approach Christmas each year How do you break through the veneer that we have created around this season and even around ourselves? How do I tell you about the saviorhood of Jesus? I pray that God will give me a story that will help me to do it, a metaphor or some parable that will compare what we don't know with what we do know. My story today is a story that was told for many years by a great pastor of another generation by the name of R.G. Lee. R.G. Lee for many years was the pastor of what is today the Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. He was at one time the president of the Southern Baptist Convention and was known across this land as one of the great orators 
and Bible preachers. Whenever he would preach on the saviorhood of Christ, he would often tell this story. The story takes place in the mountains of Virginia in a one-room schoolhouse that was so tough, no teacher ever lasted there more than a few weeks. It was a school populated with mean-spirited mountain boys who thought their main objective in life was to run off every new teacher who dared to enter their classroom. One day, a very young teacher applied for the job. The director of the school actually tried to talk him out of it. He said, son, he said, you don't know what you're going to do. You're going to take on an awful beating because you're so young. He said, son, even the most experienced teachers in the entire state never last here more than two months. Well, said the young teacher, I'm going to risk it. And he took the job. On his first day, he walked into the classroom and he noticed that the kids were gathered in the back of the room and they were sort of gathered around this one huge young man who he found out later was a guy named Tom. In fact, they called him Big Old Tom. That's what they called him and he was the bully of the class. Loud enough so that the new teacher could hear him, Big Old Tom said, I'll take care of this one. I'll do it all by myself. I won't need anyone's help. He'll be gone by the end of the day. When the young teacher got up in front of the class, he said, I have come to conduct this class, but I must confess I cannot do it without your help. I think what we need is a few rules, and I'm going to ask you to help me make the rules for the class. What rules do you think we ought to have? This was the new one on this class. This had never happened before. As the teacher went to the blackboard, one kid hollered out, No stealing! And the teacher wrote it on the board. Nobody can be late! And he wrote it on the board. And by the time he finished, the teacher had ten rules for the classroom, the ten commandments of his class. Everybody agreed, and yet as they were agreeing, they were all laughing out loud. Now, said the teacher, there is no such thing as a good rule without a penalty if the rule is broken. What should be the penalty if a rule is broken? And big old Tom stood up and he said, whoever breaks one of these rules gets 10 licks across his bare back. And the teacher thought the penalty a bit severe, and obviously this story is dated. But he reluctantly agreed. So they went to school the next day. And as you can well imagine, the morning had not ended before a rule was broken. Big Tom showed up at the teacher's desk and said, somebody stole my lunch. So the teacher held court and said, class, one of the rules is no stealing. And somebody stole Big Tom's lunch and I want to know who. After everyone had been questioned, a little 10-year-old boy stood up and said, I stole his lunch. I was so hungry, I couldn't help it. I stole the lunch. Well, the teacher said, you know what the rule is. You know that you get 10 licks across your back without your coat on. And the little boy began to beg, teacher, please don't do that. And whatever you do, don't make me take off my coat. Finally, the teacher, knowing he was on trial at this moment, made the young boy unbutton his coat And underneath there was no shirt, just the suspenders that were holding up his pants. And the teacher was thinking, how in the world am I going to whip this child? How can I do that? 
But if I don't, I will have forever lost control of this classroom. What shall I do? He said to the boy, son, how is it that you don't have a shirt on? The boy answered, my father died and my mom's real, real poor and I only have one shirt. And on the day that she washes my shirt, I wear my brother's coat so I don't get cold. I'll have my shirt tomorrow, but I don't have it today. So the teacher slowly got the paddle and as he was hesitating, trying to get the courage to inflict the punishment, Big Tom stood up jumped over everybody in his way, walked over to where the teacher was and said, if you don't object, I'll take Jim's licking for him. The teacher made some philosophical statement about there being the right for substitute punishment. (laughs) And off came Tom's coat. After five hard strokes, he paused, the teacher did, and realized that everyone in the classroom was crying, especially little Jim who by this time had run to Tom and had him by the neck, hanging on for all he was worth. And he was saying, Tom, I'm awful sorry I stole your lunch. I was so hungry. I will love you till I die for taking my licking for me. And it broke the heart of all those hard-nosed kids, and it broke the heart of the teacher, because on that day, Tom had become his brother's savior. And you and I have broken the rules, haven't we? I have broken the rules. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Do you know him? Is he your Savior? You know, it's not enough to believe he's the Savior of the world. The Bible says even the demons believe that and they tremble. In order for you to receive his salvation You have to, number one, acknowledge that it's not your neighbor's sins or somebody else's sins, it's your own that deserves punishment. And then you have to come and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for what you did when you died on the cross for me. That's what I deserved and I know it. And I accept today your punishment for my sin and I receive your forgiveness And I accept you into my heart and into my life to be my Savior. And when you do that, according to the Scripture, you have been saved. Have you been saved? Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? At this Christmas season, the great message of Christmas is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I urge you today, if you have never done it before to let this day be the day when you invite Christ to be your own personal Savior and Lord. Amen. I hope you will do that. Christmas is not the same if Christ is not in your heart. You can be like the innkeeper who had no room in the inn for Jesus, but I hope you won't do that yourself and not have any room for Him in your life. Invite Him into your heart today. He stands willing to come and forgive you of your sin, and you will understand for the first time ever the real meaning of Christmas. Friends, don't forget that during the month of December, our special resource for the end of the year month is the book Moments with God. It's a beautiful, beautiful 392-page soft cover leather book that is filled with devotional material. A devotional reading for every day during the new year. 392 pages. It's gift book size. It's got gilt edge pages. It's got a little ribbon to keep you in the right place. 
And it's just really beautiful. Every year, the designers of this book help us to take it to a new level. And I hope you will get your copy of Moments with God. You can do that by sending a gift to Turning Point. Just send a gift of any size for our year-end in-gathering and ask for the book Moments with God. Let me just say this before we say our final goodbye. Your year-end gifts are really important, especially now with inflation everywhere. If God enables you to do something special, I hope you'll do it. What you can do will help what others can't do, and that's how this works. That's what the Bible says. When God blesses us with much, it's so that we can give much and do much. And we may go through a time of not having much, and we do what we can. But when we all do what we can before God, and we're spirit-filled givers, the needs that are out there can be met. Help us meet our need this year as you give your year-end gift, and be sure to ask for your copy of Moments with God. I'm David Jeremiah. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time right here on Turning Point. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah is senior pastor. How is God blessing you through this ministry? Write and tell us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's 365-day devotional for 2023, Moments with God. It's a great tool for daily inspiration in the year ahead, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet. Or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Why the Nativity? Here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Life is filled with moments, and to help encourage powerful moments with the Lord each and every day, Dr. David Jeremiah has written a new book called Moments with God. This beautiful, year-long devotional makes a wonderful companion to your personal Bible study. When you give a generous year-end gift of $120 or more to Turning Point, you'll receive a Moments with God devotional four-pack, one for you and three to share. Donate online at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. We celebrate Christmas every year, but have you ever wondered why? Why Mary? Why Joseph? Why a newborn king? In the film called Why the Nativity, Dr. David Jeremiah gives you a front row seat as you travel back in time to experience the sights and sounds of this pivotal moment, the birth of Jesus. Make this your new Christmas tradition. Why the Nativity is available to stream for free at whythenativity.org. Watch it today for free at whythenativity.org. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. Every year, beginning in late summer, we hear retail analysts making predictions about the Christmas shopping season, how great it will be in terms of sales. Occasionally, someone will say, this could be the greatest Christmas ever. The correct response to that prediction is, 
I thought the first Christmas was the greatest one ever. Now, I'm not trying to be a Scrooge or anything, and I appreciate the opportunity to purchase gifts at Christmas as much as anyone. But in the midst of all the predictions and projections about the greatest Christmas ever, let's not lose sight of the first Christmas, the one that will never be surpassed. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's reasons for Christmas on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.